Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. And now for today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Thank you for joining us today on Relationship Truth Unfiltered. I'm here with a very special guest, Suzanne, who's been in Conquer, Leslie's private group to help women in destructive marriages. She's been in Conquer for a number of years. She's also been a part of a number of other programs that Leslie teaches. She's been through a very destructive marriage and after fighting for it for many years, is in the process of a divorce. Suzanne's going to share her story with us today. And hopefully we can have some big takeaways and avoid some of the pitfalls that she's experienced. Suzanne, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So you were married for how many years? Uh, I'm still married. It's been 36. You told me a story earlier that before you were even married, there was a pretty big red flag that happened and it set a pattern in motion that has been there for these three plus decades. Can you tell me what happened? Yes. Um, I, uh, my husband at the time, my boyfriend um, and I were living together. We had had an afternoon of recreational tennis and we came back to the apartment and I made a comment that he didn't like and he absolutely exploded like it was shocking in it in that it was seemingly so unprovoked um he started throwing things around the apartment breaking things uh screaming at me raging at me that I shouldn't have said that and my immediate reaction was he's ruining everything in our apartment so at that time I was young and pretty strong and I just grabbed him and shook him and said you know, stop. And then he started blaming me for, you know, him losing control. And I started apologizing and crying. And, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but that was where I accepted 100% responsibility for his bad behavior. And it just so you really, like that. So you really did believe that it was your fault that he raged and broke up the apartment. Um, yes, I was raised in a, in a, a somewhat abusive household, so rage and anger was not unfamiliar to me. Although I, you know, at that point I was in my late twenties. I'd been out of the house for a while. My parents had divorced, so I think it was almost like a a um, childhood trigger that I was all of a sudden in that place again, where, you know, it was my responsibility to keep peace in the house. So yeah, I, you know, again, I was at that point, I was an executive woman in a corporation, I was earning a good income. Um, I don't know why, uh, didn't know why. And I was so different in my personal life than as I was in my professional life, but I accepted responsibility hook, line, and sinker for his behavior. And I think that was the moment that he knew that he could manipulate me. You know, now that I look back on it through all the education and counseling I have, I realized there was shame around him. And so he couldn't face that. And I must have triggered the shame of 
his tennis performance or something. I mean, I really don't know, but it was just like a firecracker. It just went from zero to a hundred instantly in this explosion. And yet that isn't exactly the dynamic of your relationship because you said to me earlier that he was more of a quiet, unassuming man and you were more of the go-getter. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, that I think that's what shocked me into thinking it must've been my fault because he was, um, you know, seemed, seemed kind of mellow and quiet. He was a bit of an introvert, wasn't gregarious or outwardly animated. So this rage was seemingly very unlike him. Um, what I came to understand over the years was that rage just simmered underneath the surface all the time. And that if I didn't keep it calm, uh, and if I, you know, I, I risked unleashing that rage to the surface subconsciously, I made an effort for the rest of our relationship to make sure that rage never came out. When he wasn't raging, because I know there were other rage attacks that happened because like we said, there was kind of a pattern that was set in motion, but most of the time he wasn't a rager. How was the marriage abusive? What was happening? He wasn't a rager in part because I made sure that his life was always perfect. Um, I took on more and more and more responsibility for making sure that everything ran smoothly. He, he didn't rage, but he would, um, you know, like when we got in the car, he kind of did road rage. Or when he didn't like something, he would have a, an extremely strong uh, opinion of it or reaction to it, which kind of seemed over the top for, you know, oh, you just don't like this waiter service, or you didn't like the way your food was cooked or something. There was always this, what I now recognize the sense of entitlement that, you know, this, this should be right, or this should go the way my way, you know, my way. But for the most part, yeah, he was, you know, kind of easygoing, quiet, kept to himself. But I think part of the way that he controlled me was through his discontent because of that pattern probably of my childhood where I had to try and keep my mom happy, um, I, he would complain about virtually everything, it seemed. And so I was always on this hamster wheel of trying to uh, make it better, tweak it, try to remember what he complained about today so that tomorrow I can make sure that didn't happen. Or the next time we did this, it, it was whatever it was that he was unhappy with didn't happen. So I was almost like a Pavlov's dog, just kept trying to find the right bell to make sure that everything would go well in our relationship. In the early years, I did a pretty good job of that. I mean, I think he was somewhat engaged. I didn't, you know, I got frustrated that we couldn't seem to solve problems very well. He would give me the silent treatment if I brought something up or blame me for the reason why I was unhappy with his behavior, because it was my fault. And then I would try to adjust and change. And he kept moving the goalposts so that it never seemed to make any difference. Or we would agree, okay, we're not going to do this, or we will agree to do this. And then he just wouldn't do it. 
If I called him on it, he'd say, I never agreed to that. And that started the crazy making. I feel like, and Leslie really pointed this out to me, I, I feel like <laughs> I, at that point, put my marriage and my family on a pedestal and it became my project, you know, and I grew up in a dysfunctional household. So I, you know, watched Brady Bunch and Leave it to Beaver. And I thought, okay, I can do that. Um, what I needed was Alice, but. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Absolutely. But to the outside world though, didn't your house seem like Brady Bunch or Leave it to Beaver? Because oh, they absolutely. They didn't see what was going on. Is that right? Exactly. I think what, what made me unable to get a handle on any of what was wrong with us, in spite of, you know, we, we'd go to counseling on and off, was that in front of others, he was the model husband. He was sweet. He was considerate. Um, in front of the children, he was really a very good husband. We had two more children, so we had four all together. And that's where I just could not get a handle on what the pattern was. I, I never connected the consciously connected the fact that this was a show and that when we, when we were in front of other people, he looked like a charming, gentle, thoughtful, caring husband. And when we were alone, he was mean, he complained, he gave me the silent treatment, he wouldn't discuss any problems, he ignored me, our conversations were perfunctory, what's for dinner, what time do I have to pick up the kids, or what time is the child's soccer game, etc. And subconsciously, I began to become very social. I began to create a life outside of our home because it was safer and because he was civil. And to the extent that I had four children and after school activities and sports and everything, it kind of happened anyway, but I really went the extra mile to make sure that we were always active. I didn't recognize that that's what I was doing. When you but did try marriage counseling as well, how did that go? He would lie. Or he would be evasive. You know, he was very good at being evasive, uh, stonewalling. And we never found a counselor who really held him to the fire, asked him to be consistent with his facts. And I got frustrated. So I would always encourage him to try to work on his stuff, but we didn't stay in joint counseling very long, and nor did he ever stay in, in individual counseling very long. So back after your second child, you did quit your corporate job to stay home with your kids. And many people do that. And it, it's a wonderful thing. So nothing against people who do. I did that. But in your case, you feel that this was an attempt to try to control you. Explain that. Well, my dad had walked out on my mom and left her penniless and homeless when he went through his midlife crisis. And that was my biggest fear. Uh, because I, you know, I saw how devastated she was and how difficult it was for her to go into the workforce for the first time. You know, she was a woman of the 50s and had never worked. And my husband knew that that was my biggest fear. And so when we decided to have our third child, by that time, my 
first two children were in elementary school, I agreed with him that it would make our lives easier for me to be home and to have someone with the kids full time, but that I was worried about the financial aspect of it. And he said, you know, I would never do that to you. And I know that and told me what I wanted to hear. And so I left a very lucrative career and stayed home and had child number three and number four. At that point, the financial imbalance tipped the scales to the point where he started to exercise you know, total control. The dinner had to be on the table at 6 p.m. The children had to behave well. They had to be in bed at night at the certain time. He came home and he was the king of the castle and the castle had to be to his liking, whatever his liking might be. You know, I was, I was into it. The dream was that I was going to have a cooperative, loving husband who would be there as a partner. And what began to happen is that I had a fifth child in terms of partnership. He kind of did nothing, but there was this kind of coercive control going on that came out more in a refusal to be a partner as opposed to real overt demand. There was this assurance that, you know, financially um, I was connected. Um, and what I learned 25 years later, which was the final straw, um, was that he had he was squirreling away all of our assets and my name was not on any of those accounts. He just had kept me in the dark all those years. I know you were really committed to your marriage. Divorce wasn't necessarily an option and in your mind, but something clicked one day. Talk to us about that day. So our children were going to college, moving out of the house. I had uh, committed myself to Christ. I always had a strong faith in God, but I had never really known about Christ. As my faith grew, I was convinced that my husband would come to Christ. He would come turn around or come around. He would, uh, or that God would restore the marriage or soften his heart. I prayed every single day that God would soften his heart and um, prayed every day for his salvation. I still pray for his salvation. But as the children got older, his behavior towards me got worse. And one day I asked him to pick up the food that he had put down for the dog. And he went berserk, absolutely berserk. Again, it was just to me, it was a seemingly innocent request. And he started raging at me and screaming at me and getting into my face and putting his finger in my face. I kept saying, get your finger out of my face, get your finger out of my face. And he, the look in his eye was just frightening. I've never seen, he was completely out of control. And the white hot rate, uh, hate was kind of, it was as if all the masks he'd been wearing throughout were completely cast aside and I saw who he really was. Hmm. He would, wouldn't get his finger out of my face. By that time I was yelling to yell over him. And so he put his hands to my throat and said, is this better? Ah. Although not in that calm tone. And I really thought he was going to kill me. So I slugged him in the stomach. <laughs> it was the Good. only thing I could reach. And what was so remarkable is, you know, 
when I did that, he immediately got this high little boy voice and said, you hit me. Are you kidding me? No. And I just looked at him and I said, and I'll do it again if you ever put your hands to my throat again. Wow. And we separated. I walked out of the house. I was so, I was shaking like a leaf. I really, really thought that he was going to to strangle me. That was really Um, a seminal moment for you. It was like, you switched. Tell the listeners well, what, what changed. So at that point, you know, when I looked in his eyes and I saw the hatred, what kind of made me realize I was never going to be safe with him again is that, you know, I went out, I kind of cooled off, I came back in, and he was sitting in the den reading a book and just looked up at me as if nothing had happened. Wow. And the air was cold. I mean, it was almost like this evil was lurking in the room. And yet it, you know, it was a Stepford wife moment. You know, it was just like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, When I tried to address the situation, he denied it ever happened. I never did that. No, to this day, my hands were by my side. I never touched you. I never, I never did that. Wow. And so I knew I wasn't safe, that he would deny that whole scene that was so traumatic for me. I realized I didn't know what I was dealing with, but I knew I was not dealing with a safe person. That's the definition of gaslighting right there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You eventually found Leslie. How did you find her? Well, after that happened, I was afraid to sleep in the same room with him. Um, I didn't even want to be in the same house with him. I just, uh, my body just went into kind of a traumatic meltdown in terms of just my ability to feel safe with him. Physical abuse had not been a pattern in our marriage. So it wasn't so much that I thought he was going to do that, but I no longer knew what he was going to do. And so I became a student of destructive relationships. I had to find out what I was dealing with and what I needed to do. It's funny, you know, I feel like the Lord had his hand on me because so many of the things that Ernst in Leslie's safety module, I did instinctively. I immediately opened up a second Amazon account because the Amazon account was under my name, my credit card, everyone shared it in the family, but I needed to start reading. And I didn't want my family knowing that I was getting buying these books. So mm. I opened up a separate Amazon account. I was reading books about over-narcissistic behavior. And that was not my husband. He was covert. He was very quiet and unassuming. And it took me a while to figure out what was going on. And all the books said, leave him. He's sick. He's toxic. Leave him, leave him, leave him. Well, I was still a committed Christian. I needed to find a book that said, this is how you stay with these people. And so I found Shannon Thomas's Healing from Hidden Abuse. Hers was the first book that suggested that you could try to love the person who's abusing you and, you know, try to stay. And so I called her office and was assigned a coach. And that coach actually turned me on to 
Leslie and said, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she wrote this book, um, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. And I think, you know, it'd be really helpful for you. And so I read it cover to cover in one night. I was like, oh my goodness, this woman has lived in my house. (laughs) So then I read Leslie's books, Lord, I just want to be happy. And then I read How to Write, Act Right When Your Spouse Acts Wrong. Mm -hmm. So I was becoming a student of hers, but I also read every book that she mentioned in Conquer. I joined Conquer, I believe, in 2018. Just really quick for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Conquer, it is a private membership program that Leslie has. She opens it twice a year to new members. And there is a Conquer journey, an actual workbook that we go through with these women. It's only for women that are in destructive marriages. And there's live Zoom calls. There's phone calls that we have with coaches or with Leslie where you can ask your questions, but there's just a whole ton of material and videos that are available. And there's a private Facebook group and all of those resources. So that's, that's what you were a part of. Right. And interestingly enough, I did not go through the Conquer journey the first time I joined or when I first joined, I did not because my brain was so thick with fog. I had been gaslighted and I had been confused for so long that I really couldn't think straight. I thought I had early Alzheimer's because I, I was just, those last few years were so difficult when he really had ratcheted up the control and the manipulation and the gaslighting. But I faithfully listened to the calls. So there were so many key takeaways that while I felt like I was trying to understand my husband. Leslie was really convicting me that I had to understand me and my part in it. And one of the things that she would say in the calls when someone would call in is, okay, you know, your husband is controlling and uh, verbally abusive. That's his problem. What's your problem? And no matter what the person said, she'd say about their husband, she would say, okay, that's his problem. Now, what's your problem? Yes. And, you know, one day someone talked about how their husband gives them the silent treatment. She said, okay, that's his problem. What's your problem with, you know, you don't like the silent treatment. Okay. So what are you going to do about your problem? And that was the way she talked. And I just was like, this was the first person who really held me accountable in her ministry to fixing me and not becoming obsessed with him. And the more I went through the programs and the classes, actually the very first class I took first was people pleasing. Moving beyond um, people pleasing. Yes. yes a, that was the right course after, that she offers. Yes. Right after he assaulted me, I took that class and then I, I joined Conquer. The next time she offered E2C. I don't even remember what Empowered to change. Empowered to change. That was life-changing because that was a more intimate group. I was able to ask some personal questions. And my husband was so, so passive. And he was so clever. He was just so clever. He rarely spoke, but knew me better than I knew me and knew how to manipulate me because I didn't know me. Didn't you also work privately with one of Leslie's coaches? I did. After that, um, she offered kind of a special deal with some of her private coaches. So 
I got connected through her with Elise. And then Elise and I worked, um, I'd say for about six months. Elise was really good in that she was very forceful in making me get out of victim mode and a helpless mode and say, okay, what's your plan? What's your plan? And at this point, we were living separate lives. We had this very cursory, perfunctory relationship. We hadn't slept together or touched each other literally since the day he put his hands around my throat. One of the things that saved me was I learned about gray rocking. And because he would bait me, I was so used to responding to the baiting and getting myself into trouble that I started wearing headphones and pretending like I was listening to music. And when he would bait me, I would pretend I didn't hear him. I wasn't strong enough just to look look at him and refuse to answer. So that was gray rocking, right? Yes. So I was, you know, I was scared still. I mean, I I never thought of myself as being afraid of him, but I I realized in so many ways I had been afraid of him, afraid of raising his wrath. So when he would bait me about something, and by that time I had observed him long enough and kept, as Leslie advised, kept a copious diary of every every conversation we had, I wrote it down because most of it was crazy making and yeah. it helped me to see the crazy making. But the headphones helped too because I'd just stick them in and then he'd have to really try hard to bait me because he'd have to start yelling my name. And then I would take my headphone out and I'd say, I'm sorry, are you talking to me? Oftentimes it was too much effort for him. And through all of that, I just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And the stronger I got, the less often he tried to harm me. And he started leaving. He started renting houses in Florida and going supposedly golfing for a month or two months or three months. And so then we really were separated. And I just kept staying home. Finally, one day, well, again, I think it was a God thing. Uh, Two things happened. One time when he was in Florida, his mail, unexpectedly, he did everything online, but one unexpectedly, his one of his uh, brokerage accounts came into the mail and I opened it and fell over when I saw that we had money that I didn't know anything about. And when I asked him about it and why my name wasn't on the account, he didn't really give me a reason. And so I asked him to put his name, my name on the account and he didn't. And then it was the end of 2020, which had been a tough year all around anyway. And uh, my mother at the time was dying of cancer. And uh, we were expecting a two foot snowstorm. He was here in the same house that I was in and he took off for our cabin where I arranged snow plowing every year and left me here to dig. We ended up having like a four foot snowfall and left me here by myself with no help to dig myself out of the driveway. And I heard God say, "You out of the blue, I mean, I wasn't thinking about my husband. I was kind of just worrying about the snow and, and how, how was I going to, I hope the power didn't go off. He had a generator up there. I had nothing here. And I heard God say, you deserve more than this. Uh-huh. And at that point, I thought, okay, God's not going to restore this marriage. 
Leslie, I've heard her suggest that to other people all along that, you know, God doesn't always restore every marriage. At that point, I moved from the goal of staying well to leaving well. And uh, it's been almost two years. We're still not divorced, but we are, are separated. We've told the children. I was, again, blessed by God to fall into a couple of really wonderful jobs that have kept me happy and financially solvent. And um, I'm in my mid-60s, uh, but I feel like I'm 20 again with the possibility that life has. We are both committed to our children, and so we will have holidays together. I asked a question on Conquer for the first time in a very long time recently because I had been at a family event with him and I was wiped out, completely wiped out because I think just his duplicity in front of others is hard for me because I know that's not who he really is. And Elise happened to be on the Conquer call as the coach. And so I think she kind of knew more of the story than I shared in the Conquer call. But she said, well, you, maybe you have to rethink your commitment to your children about staying together. And my first thought was, I can't go back on my commitment to to my children that we will be together for holidays and things like that. But she further explained that, you know, maybe you tell your children, you know, a couple hours is your max, and then you need to go and recharge and regroup and then come back. And that was just kind of the permission I needed to not white knuckle it through the entire event. It was just so reassuring. And it was kind of, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to have setbacks for the rest of my life. Uh, it was 30 years in the making, but just that little nugget of wisdom that I don't have to, that, that I can keep recalibrating this whole thing so that I can stay healthy brought me such peace. And uh, so thankful for Leslie's coaches and for her and for everything that she says and does. I did go through the Conquer journey again when my head was clear about two, uh, two years after I first joined. I went through every single module, every single video. It was so worth it. I feel like had I just had private counseling, I'd probably be in it for 10 more years because of her ministry. And I just feel like I accelerated my growth by tenfold. If you could give a listener who maybe identifies with some parts of your story, any piece of advice or takeaway that you've gained through this time in Leslie's ministry, what would you say? To recognize that even if it's just for 10 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day, and you have to go to the library to get peace and quiet, find a place in a space where you can begin your healing journey. Keep a diary. Dr. Romney, who talks about uh, narcissistic behavior on YouTube, calls it an ick journal. Whenever you're a destructive person starts behaving really nicely and you think, oh, maybe they're not so bad. Go back and read the Ick Journal because the Ick Journal reminds you that they aren't bad all the time, but they're not good all the time either. And don't get hung up on thinking that the good part is going to be permanent. So the journaling was really key for me because that helped my brain unfog that that helped with the gaslighting that I could go back and read it and and as Leslie suggested 
that helped me see the pattern. If I had not written everything down, I wouldn't yes. have seen the pattern. And once you see the pattern, then you can start seeing who it is you're dealing with. And ultimately, I started anticipating the pattern. And it almost became a giggle. I'm thinking to myself, now he's going to say this. And sure enough, he would say it. <laughs> I'd be like, wow, right on cue, you know? <laughs> like, it just, the, once you understand the personality and the pattern, you can start anticipating it and then you can start avoiding it. So good. Suzanne, thank you for spending the time with us today to share your story. God bless you as you go forward. You've been through quite a journey, but I'm looking forward to seeing what God does in your life in the future. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of you who are on her team. You really are priceless. It's, it's a joy to be on the team. Yeah, she's good. She, I, I'm, I'm sure it is a joy to be with someone who's just such a leader that she is and so yeah. godly. And I think that's the, the one other thing I would say is, is that she helped me disconnect from my fantasy of what a Christian marriage is to the reality of what Jesus said. Yes. Thank you, Suzanne. Friend, if you need the support and guidance of Conquer, we are opening the doors again in just a couple of weeks and would love to have you be part of this incredibly supportive and healing group. Stay tuned to lesliebernick.com for more details. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please know that you are loved and prayed for. Until next week, may God bless your mind, your heart, and your home.